For that, we are turning today to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. While the young people are dismissed, I'm grateful for Brother Nick teaching the young folks in the back there and uh, taking some time there and just investing in those lives of blessing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Today, I'm going to do something that I don't do very often. Uh, I'm going to preach, teach, I guess you could say, a how-to message. Now, I usually avoid these types of messages because when you do a how-to anything, then typically there's an assumption that comes with that. There's an assumption that if someone delivers a speech or a lecture or a sermon on how-to anything, that he will be kind of an expert in that area because he's talking about how-to. If I'm going to receive advice on how to do anything, I want the person who is giving me that advice to have demonstrated success in the area in which he's talking to me. Amen? And so, uh, for example, I've, I have solicited and received advice on investments and in retirement accounts and such things as I look to uh, plan for the future. And when I did that, I did not seek that at the Union Gospel Mission from the homeless who come hear me preach. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I'm just saying I want the expertise. If I want expertise on something, then the person I ask, I want to be an expert. Amen? So what I'm trying to say is you're not going to go to Elizabeth Taylor for marriage advice. Amen? Married eight times. You're not going to take an ethics class from Ken Lay of Enron. You're not going to take a course on fidelity taught by Bill Clinton or humility taught by Donald Trump. You're just not going to go to these different places. You want an expert uh, in what you're talking about. I say all that because I want to make clear what we're going to discuss this morning I have not mastered in my life. I want to give you some things that are going to be a help, but it's not because I have it figured out or completely mastered in my life, and I'm reasonably comfortable in my assumption that you have not either. So I want to tackle this subject together today, and maybe we can learn something from the Word of God. We're going to start by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12. Wherefore, let him that standeth take heed, or think he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. Now, uh, verse number 13, there hath no temptation taken you such as is common to man. But God is faithful, so make a way of escape that you may be uh, able to bear it. Will with that temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Father, I pray you'd help us this morning. We look at this subject of temptation. Pray, be, uh, just put your hand on the message. Have the words that need to be said come from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was F.B. Meyer who once said, When we see a brother or sister in sin, there are three things we do not know. We do not know, first of all, how hard he or she tried not to sin. Secondly, we don't know the power of the forces that assailed her in temptation or him. And finally, we don't know what we would have done in the same situation. The truth is, we all deal with temptation. Satan knows if you're a child of God, he can never have your soul. Your soul is God's forever. Uh, because when we accept Christ as a Savior, the Bible says we have eternal life. And the word eternal means everlasting, eternal, forevermore. You either have eternal life or you don't. And the Bible says when you're saved, you have eternal life. So Satan can't have your soul, but what he can have is your effectiveness. And so he'll do everything he can to trip you up, to make you discouraged, or to trap you in sin, whatever he can to make you powerless and useless for the Lord. Now, I will say this, salvation is not a barrier to temptation. 
Don't you wish it was? I remember when I got saved. In fact, I'll be spending next week, I'm really excited, preaching a revival next week uh, for the man who led me to the Lord. And, and I remember when he uh, led me to Christ. It was on a Tuesday night, February 24th, 1984. And uh, we, we were in my parents' bedroom and, and I got saved. And I remember walking downstairs to where the rest of my family was. And I was thinking, now I don't have to worry about sin again. I won't ever have to be punished. I'm never going to have to worry about doing wrong. I've taken care of it. Well, that bombed out on day number one. Amen? Salvation's not a barrier to temptation. In fact, salvation almost increases temptation because Satan already has his kids. He's looking to trip you up. If you're a child of God, he wants to remove your effectiveness. And he loved nothing better than to cause God's children to fall into sin. However, temptation, while it cannot be avoided, can be overcome. The Bible promises us this in our text. While it's hard to endure temptation, it can be used to help us grow in Christ. I'm, belie- I'm convinced that every Christian needs, and I believe most want to, know how to turn temptation into triumph. Now, when temptation arises, we respond in one of three different ways. Uh, we respond the way I would say most people, the first of all is uh, how most people respond to it, is just give in to it. That's how probably most people in the world today respond to temptation. In fact, people in the world today really live by that motto, if it feels good, do it. They live after their natures. They do everything they can to gratify the flesh. I would say nearly all people of the world live this way today. We live in a time of self-gratification. Joseph Campbell said, Sin always finds its root in our own selfish desires and self-gratification. Now, sadly, many Christians go down this road as well. Temptation comes and we simply, well, we give in to it. That's the first response to temptation. Give in to it. Then others struggle against temptation every day. They spend all their time fighting the temptation in their own strength. That's the second way that people respond to it. They fight and fail, fight and fail over and over again because no one, friend, no one can overcome their evil nature in their own power. If we could defeat the power of sin in our own strength, it would have been pointless for Jesus to die for us. This person that I'm talking about here, he, hate, he or she hates what they're doing, but they have no power to stop what they're doing. Haven't we all asked ourselves the question at some point, why do I keep doing such and such? Why can't I stop? I know I should come to the altar, get it right, promise to never do it again, and find ourselves right in the middle of it again. It's hard to win over temptation and our own power. Finally, there are those who overcome temptation through the power of Jesus Christ. They turn temptation into triumphs. Now, this may sound like wishful thinking to you, but you can win over temptation. I want to today, I can't win this battle for you, but I can today, and I hope to give you some tools to help you apply to your life and your specific temptations. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. That's a wonderful promise. That, uh, And by the way, you may think you're alone in your temptation. You may think that you are tempted more severely than others. May I tell you, friend, you're not alone. The Bible says there's no temptation taking you, such as is common to man. That is an excuse 
that we make and Satan's whispers in our ear to make us fail and yield to that temptation. It is normal to be tempted. It is not a sign of weakness to be tempted. All right? Make that very clear today. It is not a sin to be tempted. The sin is in yielding to the temptation. But then the Bible says, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. That, that indicts every one of us who succumbs to temptation. Because the Bible says, God does not give us temptation that we cannot overcome. It is not God's fault when you sin. Uh, he has not permitted you to be tempted above your strength to reject that temptation. It's important we understand this. So every time you say yes to temptation, every time you do that, you have the power to say no. As much as we think and feel we don't have the power to say no, you do have the power because God promises you do. Temptation then is limited. God has limited your temptation to your power to resist it. In other words, your power to resist that temptation, God never allows you to be tempted above your ability level. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? Let's remember that as we deal with temptation. The principle is that God never asks us to do something we cannot do. Now, with the temptation, the Bible says, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Every temptation that you face in life, when you're on the road to temptation, every single road of temptation has on it an exit sign. You are able to take an off-ramp from the temptation. You're able to resist it. The Bible promises that. God provides ample opportunity to escape our temptation. Now, here's the problem, and here's why we don't often take it. The way of escape does not appeal to the flesh. Never does. Appeals to the spirit, but not the flesh. And so, that's why we often reject the way of escape. We can never blame God if we're overcome by temptation because God has intervened to make sure that it's not too much that we can be overcomers in it. That's a wonderful truth. It is possible to live in victory. Now, there's a few things we need to know uh, to be able to do this. And so I want to break this down and look at several aspects of temptation. First of all, the subject of temptation. Who is affected? Well, let me just lay it down for you so you don't feel alone. Every single human being since the beginning of time is tempted. Every one of us, everyone in this, is in this room is tempted. Uh, you go through the Bible. The greatest men in the Bible were tempted. David was tempted and failed. Uh, we, have, we see that Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, David, uh, Peter, even Jesus was tempted. We are daily assaulted with a wide range of temptations. Here's the ugly truth. The temptations are tailor-made to fit your appetites. Every one of us has different appetites and different temptations. Every one of us face different things uh, that uh, might not bother somebody else, but it bothers us, and so we have to deal with those things. Lying, cheating, stealing, pride, lust, etc., and on and on the list could go. Now, I've on several occasions uh, throughout the years read an account about Leonardo da Vinci, and I wondered if it were true. I didn't know for sure if it was true, but now, last week, I saw it on the Internet. So I know it's true, amen? Because everything you see on the Internet is true. Leonardo da Vinci, he painted The Last Supper, and it took him 10 years to do that. Did you know that? It took him 10 years to paint that painting. And throughout those years, he, he looked for models who would sit in for the disciples and Jesus and all. Every person in there, he actually drew from a model. 
He found a handsome and pure-looking young man in a choir in one of the churches in Italy. He used him to paint Jesus. The man's name was Pietro Vandinelli. Years passed, and da Vinci kept painting and, and working on this painting. Like I said, it took ten years. He decided that he would keep Judas Iscariot till the very last person to fill in on his painting. When he came to that point, he went out to the streets of Rome. He looked for the a most forlorn person that he could find. At last, he found a man whose face was so drawn and depraved, he hired him to sit in to paint Judas. When they were completed, he was about to dismiss the man, and he said, by the way, what is your name? And the man answered, don't you know me? I am Pietro Bandinelli. I was the one who modeled for Jesus. The poor man had drifted so far, his face had gone from showing Christ to showing Judas Iscariot. Let us never forget the power of sin to destroy our life. We have a devil who wants to be, uh, who wants to destroy us. Now, a couple of points here we want to make. Number one, it is not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It was not simply that the Lord Jesus was able not to sin. He had no sin. He did not have a sin nature. He had no earthly father, so he had no sin nature. Can I just stop there for a minute and tell you, that's why it is vital for us to believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ did not have an earthly father. Do you know why I'm a sinner? You know why I'm a sinner? It's my dad's fault. That's right. I blame him. Do you know why you're a sinner? It's your dad's fault. Ah, you can, you can rest easy. It's not your fault. It's all on your dad. See, I'm like a good psychiatrist. I can blame your parents just as easy as they can. Uh, it is your, but the Bible says, Wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And, and as each man had, uh, each father had children, and that father had children, and on, so on and so forth, sin passed on. Jesus, though, did not have a father. See, he did not have an earthly father, so he had no sin nature. It's important for us to realize that connection with the virgin birth. Now, the Bible says he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It does not say he did not sin. It says he was without sin. Big difference there. The Bible talks about two forms of temptation. Now, found in James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted with God, because God uh, cannot be tempted uh, with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, that talks there about two kinds of temptation. There's a temptation from within that is referred to by drawn away of his own lust. There is a temptation from without that is by, uh, showed by the word enticed. Now, Christ had no sin nature, so he could not be tempted from within because he had no sin nature. Uh, the, uh, the Bible says, we just read it here, James 1.13, God cannot be tempted with evil. But... You and I, we will encounter temptation from both sources, inward and outward. Without, that would be like peer pressure, attempt from others to get you to do wrong, uh, enticing you. Now, I understand that's a real thing. It's hard for some teenagers in, in school and even for some adults, but I'm 47 years old and I don't have a problem saying no. If you want me to do something I don't think I should do or I don't really want to do, I don't have a problem saying no to that. Uh, people have tried to get me to drink before and don't, don't have any problem. Nope, not want to be in 
fool like you, so no, don't want to have any interest in it. But that other one, that other one throws me a sucker punch all the time, enticed from within, and, and you too, by the way. That's the one we struggle with the most. Uh, drawn away of his own lust. This is where I meet my worst enemy. That, that, it's that person that I see in the mirror every day. It's what, you're your worst enemy too when it comes to sin. This is where you'll struggle the most. You know, no one begs you to get angry. You do that all by yourself. No one comes up and tells you to lust. You do that all by yourself. Uh, turn to Proverbs 6, if you would, for just a quick second. Proverbs chapter 6. We have a list there of sins that the Lord hates. And then he says the seventh is an abomination to him. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 16. The Bible says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that said, shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, he that soweth discord among brethren. What do all these have in common, friend? They all come from right here. Right here. They're inward sins from the heart. And again, it is not a sin to be tempted. Sin enters the picture when temptation is surrendered to. Uh, it talks about in James 1.15, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. But it is good for us to realize the number one source of sin. Don't walk around saying, the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything. It is, it is, I'm my, I'm the biggest culprit in my sin problem. You are the biggest culprit in your sin problem. It is that, uh, flesh that we still have to live with. Now, our greatest danger is to think that we've arrived at a place where we're above sinning. The Bible says in verse 12, we read earlier, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When our pride tells us that we cannot fail in a certain area or that we cannot fall, we headed for a big one, friend. That's just the way it works. Pride in this area just opens you up for failure. Never think yourself above falling. So, that's the who. Now, let's look at the source of temptation. Where? Verse 13 in our text calls it common. Don't think your temptations are yours alone. They're, they're, your temptations are unique. I read a, I saw a t-shirt one time. You are unique, just like everyone else. Okay. Your temptations are unique, just like everybody else's. Amen? We all deal with them. They're common to man. Each one of us. Don't See, here's what, here's what the devil's lie is. You walk through those doors, and you come into church, and you look around. And everybody's got everything figured out. Nobody struggles like me. Nobody understands the, what I'm going through. I, you know, and we, we look at, I mean, look at different couples and families, and they've just, everything's working for them. Now, my life's a myth. That's the kind of thing Satan tries to sell you. Listen, not to put anybody down here, but you all are all messes, and so am I, amen? We all have problems. We all have issues. We all have things we're struggling with. And so let's not think we're alone. It is common. They're run-of-the-mill, garden-variety type temptations. We all get the same ones from the same sources. Uh, 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Satan knows exactly how to tempt each of you. Each of us have a specific lure that Satan uses. Say, what is it? Well, anybody want to stand and share? I don't think that's... I don't think anybody wants to do that. But I tell you this, 
You're thinking of it right now. I'm thinking about mine. We have a lure. There's a lure that Satan uses for us, something that we struggle. The Bible calls it a sin that so easily besets us. Sometimes we call it a pet sin. I don't like that term because it sounds cute, and it's not. But we have that sin that easily besets us. You're thinking, the Holy Spirit will put that finger on that in your life. Now, here are three primary sources of temptation. If you're into, uh, have a habit of taking notes, today's a good day to do it because this will help you. We have three primary sources of temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is uh, talked about in the Bible as a system or an order. The Bible speaks of this system called the world and says that it is evil. The world system is committed to at least four major objectives. Fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. First and foremost, we'll look at fortune or money. Boy, that's a draw on the world today, isn't it? Uh, the world system is driven by money. It feeds on materialism. It is a tragic thing for a person who has plenty to live on, but nothing to live for. And we have a lot of people in America today have plenty to live on, but nothing to live for. Secondly, there's fame. We could use also popularity for that. Fame is the longing to be known. The desire to have to be someone in someone else's eyes. Social media today feeds into this objective. However, that is a, an illusion, a big old fat illusion. People you've never met now, uh, and people that you'll never see now becoming the object of your validation, it's an illusion. Social media shows us an unrealistic face of everything. Your worth is not measured in the number of followers you have or likes or comments. God sets your worth, not the book of face. Amen. Third, power, influence, control over individuals or groups. It's the desire to manipulate or maneuver others to do something for your own benefit. This desire to control, it ruins relationships, both professionally and personally. And then there's pleasure. Has to do with fulfilling each other or one's own self-sensual desires. In our society today, we take this to the extreme. Man, we introduce luxury into everything. We make it, I, I like camping. I love camping. Then I heard of another term, glamping. You ever heard of that before? Glamping. That's a bunch of garbage. You either camp, you sweat, you get dirty, you get eat up by mosquitoes, or you're not camping. Amen? There's no such thing as glamping. And I could bring into the mix again our discussion we brought up several times about heated seats. All right? In cars. We, it's, it's an amazing thing that we have to put a seat in our temperature-controlled vehicles that get warm or even cold. Our forefathers and ancestors came to this land in covered wagons through harsh weather, cold, and heat. We got to have our heated seats, but I'm not going to bring it up. I just said, I'm not going to mention that. It's possible, though, for, wor for believers to become so worldly that we fail to stand out for God. One, one person put it this way. One preacher I heard said it this way. And I think it's good. If you put the world and Christians in a big bag today, shake them up and pour them out, it's hard to tell who's who. We become worldly. We're, we are to be different. We are to be distinct as God's people. We should feel as out of place in the world as a ham sandwich in a synagogue. We should not fit in wherever we are in the world. We're not to allow the world to force us into its mold. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. 
a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. A man bought a new hunting dog. Eager to try him out, he took him out to the field. No sooner had they gotten to the field than the dog picked up the trail, and off he goes. But it wasn't long before he stopped and sniffed the ground and headed to a new direction because a deer had crossed the path of his original quarry. And a few minutes later, he stopped again and went a different direction because now a rabbit had crossed the path of the deer. And so it went until finally the hunter caught up with him to find him barking down the hole of a field mouse. And that's a lot of us as Christians, isn't it? We're going this way and then we get distracted and we're heading this way and then we get distracted heading that over that. We just don't, uh, we, we, we start out with high resolve, with commitment, keeping Christ first in our lives, but then the world distracts us, gets us in our way, and our attention is diverted to things of lesser importance. The world. That's the first temptation. Secondly, uh, or the, uh, yeah, the world, then the flesh. The flesh. Born into all of us, from the most innocent child to the most godly adult, is a bent in our nature. We, uh, we are bent to do the wrong thing. There's a leaning toward sin. We inherited, as I mentioned this, from our father Adam. It's called the old nature. That uh, talks about, the Bible talks over and over about the civil war that's going on in the heart of every saved person today. Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusteth after the spirit, uh, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so they cannot do the things that you would. When we fail, we sometimes try to blame our sin on the devil. Yes, he tempts us. Yes, he points us towards sin, but we are responsible for that final destination. Let me make a statement. I believe this with all my heart. Even if Satan were gone, we'd still sin. Because our flesh is wicked. When you get saved, you get a new nature. But your old flesh is still part of your, you, you still have your old nature. As long as you can do this and feel it, you still have your old nature. You have your flesh. And your flesh does not want good things. It's like when you go on a diet. You, oh. you, you stop eating ice cream and donuts and cake. By the way, Diet rule number one, if no one sees you eat it, it contains no calories. I stand by that. But you put aside ice cream and cake, cookies and the good things, but the ice cream still calls you from the freezer. You've heard it. Eat me. You've heard it before. It's begging to be consumed. It's happened to me. I'm sitting in my easy chair, innocently studying or reading and I hear singing from the counter, we are cookies and we want to be eaten. We are cookies. You know this. You know the drill. Happens to all of us. It's like the food that we shouldn't eat. It's like a person who has been told the relationship's over and they just haven't accepted it yet. That's how it is with the flesh. Uh, your flesh still wants to sin. It doesn't matter that you've had, hey, I'm, I'm putting a, uh, I, I'm taking control of this. I'm taking this out of my life. It doesn't matter. Your flesh still wants it. It doesn't know the relationship's over. <laughs> so it's continuing. You have to say no. The only way to rid yourselves of these desires is to starve the flesh by not giving it the sin that it wants. You have to deny it. Matthew 16, 24, then said Jesus to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We have to hurry. The devil is the third source of temptation. Uh, Satan is uh, his main objective, as far as you're concerned, is to cause you to fall so that God is dishonored. He knows every weakness you have. He exploits them to try to get you to sin. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. He's a liar 
and he's a murderer from the beginning, the Bible says, and he wants to ruin your life. Let's not let him. We saw the subject of temptation, the source of temptation, then very quickly the seat of temptation, how it comes. Man is made in the image of the triune God. Man is a triune being. We possess body, soul, and spirit. When you're tempted, it will be in one of these three areas. This is where we get down to the nuts and bolts because different temptations affect us in different ways. And it's good for us to determine, number one, the source of the temptation, and number two, exactly what part it is attacking. Let me break it down very quickly. Number one, the soul. This is the word to, de to describe the you that lives inside your body. It speaks of your mind, your will, your emotions. Now, the world is the primary tempter of the soul. Good for us to remember this because then we can do some identifying. The world always appeals to the ego or the pride. You need more. The world's always trying to shove its distractions on us. A, a worldly person is one who's given over to the pleasures of the world. For instance, Lot. He looked, he leaned, he lived, and he lost because of the world. Now, the body. Secondly, the body, the flesh. This refers to the old nature that always attacks the body. Now, I think that's a given. The world attacks the soul. The flesh attacks the body. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. And the body gets involved in this. Uh, the, the, we are tempted to laziness, lust, overindulgence, uh, sexual sin, and on down the list it goes. These are temptations of the flesh. I think we all understand that. Then there's the spirit. The spirit is the primary arena for satanic attack. If our soul is our self-conscious, then our spirit is our God-conscious. Uh, our spirit is what sets us apart from the animals. I have a Boston Terrier dog. Cute, bug-eyed little bugger. And uh, he's sweet. He's a loving little guy. He has intelligence of a box of rocks. You can see it when you look into his eyes. It's completely empty. There's nothing there. It's like looking into a toilet paper roll. It is black, empty, nothing, an empty toilet paper roll. There's nothing going on there. And once in a while, just kicks and giggles, I guess, I talk philosophy with him. I was out on the deck the other night, and I was having a conversation with him, telling about the meaning of life, sin, redemption, all those things. And he'll look at me intently, sometimes head tips a little bit, but it'll never sink in. Because man alone can know God. It'll never sink into your precious pooch either. It certainly won't sink into your cat, I can tell you that for sure. Satan's all over that thing. But it is in the Spirit that we can know God. That's how we recognize God. It is the Spirit that worships and communicates with God. Remember what the Bible says in John 4, 24? God is a Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and truth. Satan hates this communion. And so he'll constantly war against your spirit to cut off fellowship from God. He places doubts in your mind uh, to distract you. He places false teachers in our path to turn us from the truth. Satan attacks the Spirit. Now, the subduing. Here we get down to the nuts and bolts. How do we subdue temptation? There are three words to remember when facing temptation. Remember, there are three sources of temptation. There are three uh, parts of you that are tempted, and there are now three responses to those three sources. Those three words you want to remember. You should write them down maybe in your Bible or on a piece of paper. Uh, their uh, words are flight, flight, like flight, faith, and fight. To overcome the flesh, we need flight. Now let me make this 
very clear, and I think each and every one of you who know or have deal with the, any kind of temptation of the flesh, when there is a fleshly temptation, there's only one word you need to remember. Run. Run. Uh, the Bible says it several places. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 10.14, flee fornication or idolatry. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. When it comes to a fleshly temptation, run. The Bible says Joseph, when he was uh, working for Potiphar and, and Potiphar's wife uh, broke out the moves on Joseph and started to try to seduce him, what did Joseph do? The Bible says he slipped out of his coat and he got him out. The picture that you see in there is like those pictures of cartoons where you see a puff of dust that's in their shape. That was Joseph. He got him out. Flee. When, when it comes to sins of the flesh, don't sit around waiting to decide. Young lady, don't sit in the back seat of the car trying to decide, should I do right or should I do wrong? Run! Run! When it comes to any type of temptation of our flesh, we flee. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh and to fulfill the lust thereof. Can I tell you something about you? You are not to be trusted. I am not to be trusted. I was raising my kids. I had several several occasions people would talk to us about the fact that, well, we talked about dating a few weeks, so it wasn't any dating till college. But even in college, when they started dating, they'd be with a chaperone. And they came home over break and introduced us to their losers they brought home, you know, and, and we had to get used to them. We, uh, we had a rule. You had to date with a chaperone. And I was asked several times, folks, don't you trust your children? No, I don't trust my children. I don't trust me. Why would I trust my 16-year-old? Amen? We, we make a mistake when we start. That's why the Bible says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Don't trust. None of us are to be trusted. So to overcome the flesh, we need flight. To overcome the world, we need faith. Faith that Jesus will take care of us when we willingly give up attachment to worldly things. The Bible makes it very clear, if we're loving the world, we're not loving the Father. If you're caught up with the fame, fortune, uh, popularity, uh, materialism of this world, you're not loving the Father. The Bible says it in John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you really want victory over the world, love Jesus more than you love the world. That's what we have to foster in our life. Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It is our faith in him that offers us the victory. 1 John 5, 4, For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. What overcomes the world? Your faith. The world woos us with all its flash and its lights. You just watch commercials for a while. I mean, it tell you everything you need. You didn't even know you needed it until you went and saw those commercials. We're consumed with materialism. So, to overcome the flesh, we need what? Flight. Amen? To overcome the world, we need faith. Thirdly, to overcome the devil, we fight. If we stand up to him and fight, the Bible says he'll flee. The Bible says in James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You cannot run away from him, but you can drive him away from you. Hey, that's a blessing, isn't it? You can send him packing. You must face him, though, in the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
He does not fear you. Satan is not scared of you, and certainly Satan is not scared of me. But I tell you what, we get a Bible open in our hands, we get on our knees before the Lord, and we start to claim His power, and we're praying and asking Him to work in and through us. That terrifies Him. The only thing that terrifies Satan is a Christian on his knees, not the Christian himself. And so, we see even Jesus did that. Jesus took the Word of God to battle Satan, and He fought against him using the Word of God, the weapons of the Word of God. Fight Satan and he will flee. Now, dear friend today, I don't know what temptation you may be dealing with specifically in your life. And quite frankly, I don't need to know exactly what temptation you're dealing with in your life. But I do know that if you are breathing, you're battling. Especially if you're trying to be any kind of child of God worthy of His glory. You're battling. Our greatest resource in the face of temptation is a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. May I encourage you today to bring your need to Him. Whatever the need is, a trial, a temptation, lay it down before the Lord. He has promised us grace in temptation. Oh, what a blessing. In the time we need it the most, He promises us grace. Let us make, uh, take him up on his offer today. Amen? And accept his grace on our behalf. Let's have